Minus three is presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. Ram Gano, the veteran, 36 years old. Great breakthrough by Thomas, who blocked it. And Ipanogany has it for Dallas. Noah Ipanogany stays in bounds, and the Cowboys special teams gets the first score of the year. Touchdown, Dallas. As a coma is in the backfield. And they go to the end zone and caught. Touchdown! Touchdown! The Dolphins have recaptured the lead. Trying to do something here with Christian McCaffrey. Got a bruising block from Brandon Ayuk. Got another from Ray Ray McLeod. Turned it into a touchdown. It's a 65-yard lightning strike from McCaffrey. Minus three. With Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to a brand new Minus 3 presented as ever by Omaha. Week 1 is almost completely in the books at the time of this recording. About half of you feeling good, probably, after watching your pro football team emerge victorious. The other half of you feel like I feel. Feel like Eddie Spaghetti there behind the glass feels. Sad. That's how we feel. Just keep in mind, if your team came out on the wrong side of things in the first Sunday of the NFL this year, and worse yet, got whipped, keep in mind legitimately that a big difference between even the juggernauts of this millennium versus the big-time teams of the 70s, 80s, 90s, last century, sometimes don't just lose games, they get whipped. It's one game, move on. Yeah, I'm rationalizing. Hey, coming up in just a second, uh, Ted Wynn from The Athletic is going to join us. Great on the All-22 film every week. You watch him on social media. You read him on The Athletic. He's going to try to provide some insight on what um, what we saw over the course of 60 Minutes deserves a overreaction or is going to sustain itself throughout the season. Looking forward to talking with him. Eddie Spaghetti, I know you're down in the dumps. Maybe some power rankings of the weekend will boost your morale. Uh, I think I may switch teams, may just become a full-time Jets fan. Uh, I wish we could only talk about college football on this podcast. because that Cowboys. Team, be a Cowboys no, no, fan. No, I'm not, I'm not going to. I am not. I can't be another no? New Yorker okay. who roots for Dallas Cowboys. Um, I got to stick with my home team. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're going to get into that, I, I am kind of doing a little bit what you are. Uh, with all my Giants fans, friends, like tell me a, a week one loss from 2022 that you remember. And everyone's tweeting out how, you know, you lose in week one teams that win in week one won't make the playoffs and teams that lost in week one will end up being in the final four or whatever. That's just how it works. I mean, the Chiefs lost and the Bengals lost and the the uh, the Vikings lost all these Seahawks, all these teams that were uh, in the playoffs last year lost. So, I mean, yeah, it stinks for the Steelers and for the Giants to lose. What stinks even worse is the Giants just being in prime time. Um, that was just a perfect storm of what an atrocious game. And uh, I want to forget about it. Uh, the Giants are lucky they're playing the Cardinals next week. They should be one and one. There's no excuse to not be one and one after two weeks, which is fine. It's exactly what I expected. Um, I thought we were going to lose that game. I picked the Giants to cover. I thought it'd be a close one. During that first drive, I thought it was going to be a close game. I mean, they were running the ball right through Dallas, um, which is Dallas's weakness. You know, they're not that great first to run, which is that's the way to beat them. And I would do anything to go back in time on that third and two play um, where Andrew Thomas commits his first false start in two years. 
um, which, by the way, not that it matters, but every other team in the NFL was getting away with the the fault, like you know, the, the quote unquote false starts from, the, from their tackles. They call it on the Giants, which is it's fine. You know, he did. He did go early, and then third and seven, the the John Michael Schmitz, the rookie center, bad snap in the rain. I mean, they recover it, and then the next play, they the block field goal, and um, you know, Andrew Thomas injures himself trying to track down the 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 ball carrier there, and it was just from there. I'm like, the game's over. It, it was over from that point. Um, it was the all-time worst, like, Giants offensive line performance. And uh, they were the NFL worst this week. I mean, Dallin Jones was pressured. Well, that's the big question. That's what, 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 what we'll ask Ted. That's the, you know, as we do traditionally, do you want to take a mulligan, revise your predictions? Do you want to get over your skis about how good or bad one side of the ball was? And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. what that is. Is that going to be what we see all year long from the Dallas Cowboys? Are, are mm. they going to overwhelm offenses like that with that pass rush? Boy, Micah Parsons at the top of that uh, at top of that mountain, but all sorts of uh, rotational guys heating up Danny Dimes. Poor Danny Dimes getting left on the field there. I don't know if I love that or not, but I still can't divine. It sounds like it was Dayball's call to leave dimes in the game Terrible. as he said to try and to try and make something go There's, i wonder if dimes wanted to stay in there though but once you start putting in the backup lineman that should be your right your sign get me out of there coach i'm gonna get killed without a doubt especially because you're paying him you know a, a lot of money on people love to put that on twitter today first of all like i understand that you don't you some teams don't want to pay a quarterback that much money for especially if he's daniel jones uh i'm not saying daniel jones is a top 10 quarterback but what my point is that like quarterbacks now get paid that going rate um, he's a playoff winning quarterback and it's doesn't matter who was out. It was, it could have been Tom Brady in his prime. Nobody was w- winning that game with that offensive line. Like he was pr- 66% of his dropbacks. That's 13% more than any other quarterback in week one. There was no, it time was wild to it do was, anything. It was, it, it was wild. And I think the answer probably is both of the above that, uh, that Cowboys pass rush is legit, but man, I'd be spooked a little bit if I were a Giants fan. So, all right, power rankings. I'm going to give you the ones that don't make the the thing, the ones that are at the bottom of the power ranking so far down that I'm going to shout them out here. One, week one, that was maybe the worst Sunday I can remember for opening Sunday in pro football. I mean, really, it stunk. And I know that I'm biased a little bit, but really – were there good games? I mean, the Lions and Chiefs way back on Thursday was good. Chargers and Dolphins was good. But let me also say, even the two of those, two of the best uniforms in football, even that looked ugly. Those two, paid, it clashed. It wasn't right. Week one didn't feel right. Also, another uniform note, the Cowboys pants were too shiny. Am I right? They were a little bit too shiny. Very, very blue. First overall draft picks. No good. What have they lost now? Starting QBs who were first overall picks have lost 15 straight Mm -hmm. career openers. I think that's what the number is. Remarkable stuff there. Tom Brady goes and at halftime is celebrated um, in Foxborough and then announces, "I'm I'm a Patriot for life. Except for those years you spent in Tampa, man. Do you think the Buccaneers fans care? Legitimately, that's my question to you. Are you, do you feel used? Because that's what you were. Do you not care? Was it like, ah, listen, it was a, 
it was a May September kind of thing. We got something out of it. We we both knew this this wasn't going to last, but we had our fun together, and we'll hold on tight to those memories. Sort of like Travolta and Olivia Newton John, you know, summer loving. They knew they knew it wasn't going to end. Labor Day was the end of it. I don't. I, I'd feel I'd feel a little embarrassed if I were a Buccaneers fan that this is uh, is something you celebrated, or maybe the times were so great. While it was going on, you don't care. Maybe that that you lost a little honor in that process. You got used by a mercenary. You got a Lombardi for it. I still think it's a little gross. AFC North attrition definitely is not on the power rankings. It's bad. I feel sad for J.K. Dobbins. I don't know mm-hmm. how severe Ronnie Stanley, but this is a this is a mounting situation for that guy for three years now with with the injuries. Cam Hayward in the groin, Deontay Johnson in the hamstring, Jack Jack Conklin lost for the year. This is going to be a major element of the AFC North. Obviously, injuries always are going to be a major element in pro football, but right out of the gate, some big time names in that rugged division are probably going to swing how that thing lands by uh, by the time we get to New Year's. Uh, Brian Dave Ball leaving Dimes in, like I say, that definitely has to go in there. If Dimes was like, what are you doing, coach? Then that should be reason enough. That was inexcusable to let your your franchise QB. And he is that. That's the way he is. Whether you think he's worth the money or not is another story. What are you going to do if Danny Dimes gets hurt and is out for any amount of time? Your season is likely over. Um, so I thought that was very weird. Now, for the actual power rankings, we can talk about pro football. And you saw the television ratings probably from Thursday Night Football. Insane Chiefs and Lions. And obviously, it's the tail that wags the sports dog. But if we're talking football, number one on the power rankings right now is Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffalo. I mean, what, what in the hell? I know everybody is talking about this. And I find it the only thing I find off-putting about the Colorado Buffaloes right now is Deion Sanders talking about how no one no one likes him or people are rooting against him. I don't think that's true. I think he's making that up. He's playing the old uh, no one outside this locker room believes in us and all that crap. But setting that jive aside, man, oh, man, this is remarkable stuff. Shadur Sanders, especially. Imagine what this kid is doing. His first appearance in big-time college football, what he's done back-to-back is, I mean, we can talk about all the other Heisman stories out there right now. Got to make Shador Sanders your number one pick for the Heisman two weeks in. Am I right about that, Eddie Spaghetti? I, I totally agree with you. People will fight back and say Caleb Williams, but um, USC has played Stanford and they played two pretty garbage schools, uh, whereas Sanders on the road, uh, number 17 TCU beat them. The team that was in the national championship game last year. And then he goes and plays Nebraska, which I, we, you know, I, we talked about it. Me, you and Hanson said how, how the, the mighty has fallen for seemingly decades now in Nebraska. Um, but it's still, you know, at home, there's, there's pressure on him to win that game. And then I, I assume they're going to be Colorado state, uh, you know, college game days heading to Boulder. So it's going to be another game with a ton of pressure on him, but he's been outstanding. Um, and you know, people thought they were going to maybe win, uh, four, five, a handful of games. They're going to go way past that. And he's been awesome. And coach prime at halftime, just because of the whole controversy with Nebraska, not wanting to recruit Sanders and him just saying like, this was personal. He's like, we're only up 13. We should be up way more right now. And like, I just like, he's brutally honest, which is what we always want to uh, see in sports media. And uh, it's just so much fun watching like, you know, with, between him and Dylan Edwards and, and obviously Hunter, they're just so dynamic. They're so fun to watch. 
it's I, I it really is going to be a fun thing to follow over these next couple few months to see how far that team goes. Six and six, I thought seemed ridiculous. Um, the idea that you know people were spending actual money on them winning a national championship. Obviously, I'm going to stand by that position. That's all I have now. I don't think they're going to um, be in the final four. But man, you're you really are uh, overly cynical if if you are pointing at anything about that Colorado team and 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 not saying uh, it's jaw dropping stuff. I mean, really, what it's done is it's reset expectations. Like Matt Rule, like what's your excuse, man? Like you. You're 0-2? Unacceptable. Look at what Dion's done. He's been there same amount of time uh, as you've been in Nebraska. He's 2-0. and Really, it does shake things up. I I get – here's the, as far as I'll go with Dion. He's right that he's probably made a lot of head coaches in college football very uncomfortable because now all of a sudden they're – uh, ADs are looking at him going like, what are you doing, man? Like, look at what, look, look at what that guy's doing over there in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. They were, they were garbage. They were among the very worst. And I, so let's see, let's put a pin in it. But in the meantime, make sure you're looking at it every week until this, uh, till this ride ends. Cause, uh, cause it really is unlike as far as I can recall, and I've been watching for 40 years, college football. Um, I can't recall a story like this just coming out of absolutely nowhere from, you know, what they do one in 11 last year. Crazy. Terrible. They're, yeah, they're uh, terrible. And I, I don't want to get too far ahead of this, but I mean, let's just say down the road that Dion moves on from Colorado to a bigger school with a bigger bankroll and just obviously more just natural attraction to top, like, you know, high end recruits. I mean, he could be he could be a powerhouse for like decades. Like if he goes to an SEC school, if he gets one of those jobs, if like, you know, LSU fires Brian Kelly, it's like who's going to stop them with Deion Sanders as head coach? It'll be crazy. Boy, yeah, it's uh, I wonder now the buzz has already begun and will he go to the NFL? I mean, I guess. Why do you leave Colorado anyway? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. But while we're talking college football, the team, one of the teams, who while AM falls again, and, and that deserves a shout out on the not power rankings, the powerless rankings. How is this team, how is this program the most well-funded in college football in a world of Alabama and USC and Texas and Ohio State and all the rest of it? AM has the most booster dollars and they're never relevant. And somehow Aggies fans are okay with it. I mean, I don't understand how this keeps going. Like, don't you have to withhold dollars at some point on Jimbo and all the rest of it? It's really crazy that that, that team can never really break through and um, be a consistent top 10 team as well-funded as they are in the state that they are. It's wild, but Texas, at long last, feels like they're back. Ewers look terrific against uh, against the Tide. And my sad takeaway there is, is or is it a good takeaway that the 12 team playoff so in the here and now the message is don't schedule good teams non-conference because if you did in 2023 you've put yourself behind the eight ball lsu is likely screwed unless they win out they can't make the final four and if you schedule cupcakes you're looking real good right now bama again also now probably has to run the table after getting whipped at home Double digit uh, loss for Saban to Ewers and company there. That was impressive. So Texas appears to be back there in the power rankings. And then I have to shout out maybe at the top of the NFL mountain here. Lions were great. There were some nice stories there. But number one, Brock Purdy. What a return. I th- 
Remember last time we saw him? It looked like that was kind of one of those injuries, the way he got hurt against the Eagles. It looked like that's too bad because it ends this title game and we're not going to get to see these two heavyweights uh, wage war for the next 50 or so minutes here. But beyond that, it's like, I think that kid's career is maybe going to be screwed up. And he was dynamite. The real deal against the alleged mighty Steel Curtain. He exposed them or at least highlighted what a juggernaut this Niners team is on both sides of the ball. Bully ball will be um, the way for the 49ers. But I mean, really, that Mm -hmm. was a whipping, a shaming of the Steelers. And on the other side of things, boy, I know people love to beat up Matt Canada. We'll get into that with Ted Wynn in just a second here. But I think you got to put it on Ken Pickett um, more than anything else there. More than anything else I saw, Cam Hayward going down isn't great against a great running team. Christian McCaffrey and company got off all day long. But I, I put this one on eight. I mean, he was just off the mark all day. And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. But he got whipped on on the first possession on third down once again, just like he did a couple of times last year and what happened to Tua. He got thrown over the defender's hip and landed hard on his head. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out he got dinged a little bit um, because he just did not look good throughout the day. And that's a concern. And Monday night, another great defense, Cleveland coming into town. Um, the hour's getting late already. You really don't want to go to zero and two there. Yeah, and I will say quick. I'll just jump in with you know the Purdy Pickett thing. I'm not even trying to knock Pickett, but just comparing two younger quarterbacks, it's just insane to see. I don't even know how to describe it, but like Purdy just has like this sense, this like not that he's an extremely mobile quarterback, but he just moves so fluidly in the pocket, and he was like he just never seems under pressure whatsoever. He just always finds it, and it also helps to have a team just loaded with talent, whether it's, you know, Kittle or Ayuk or CMC behind you. And the list goes on Debo, obviously. So, I mean, he he's fortunate to have such a great offensive line, but it, it just seems like the game is slowed down for Purdy. And I, I guess, you know, this year, 2023 is the year of the UCL. It starts with, you know, Brock Purdy's injury. He gets the UCL. Then we go and see, you know, Shohei Itani, UCL injury, the Martian, you know, the next bright story and, you know, uh, could be the face of the uh, major league baseball. If it's not Otani, he gets an AC, a UCL injury. And then now we're back to the repaired UCL of Purdy. That's hundred percent intact. And they very well could be the NFC representative. So, um, but it was, that was something to watch. Well, I mean, that's he, your best team, right? I mean, the bottom I line think. is based on what you saw from the Eagles, Dallas might take a run at them. It's funny 30 years later when the two best teams in the NFC were the Cowboys and Niners, it appears that that might be the case. And you know what? In the nineties, the other, the third team always was the Packers. They didn't look half bad going in and, uh, and messing up the, what was supposed to be a nice season for the bears. We did foresee that Chicago probably was, uh, was people were getting a little bit too excited about Justin Fields. Um, Didn't look great in week one in, uh, in Chicago. Um, also on the power rankings, uh, filet mignon. It's funny. I, after being a strip steak guy, my whole life, as I get a little older, I don't know too much red and pink is too much for Dave. Like I used to crave prime rib. Now it doesn't look right to me. My, I'm getting older. I'm getting a little, I find, you know, un, uh, you know, rare meat, little, little sketchy. I'm more of a a filet mignon guy. I like the the tender cut of meat now. I don't need as much fat. Um, I'm a filet mignon guy. That's a big statement for me. And I know that uh, 
you know, diehard steak uh, enthusiast, steak snobs will say that's not the way to do it. Filet right. mignon is is uh, is not a good cut of meat for meat lovers. Well, guess yeah. what? I love meat and I love a filet mignon. And my name's Dave Damashek, and I'm not apologizing to you. Um, another one is I mentioned it, Brock Purdy and those Niners. The other thing on the power rankings you got to shout out is that Cowboys defense. I think the spirit of them, yes. Um, obviously the, the, um, number 11 is, is what starts the story there, but I love the vibe of Trayvon Diggs talking stuff before even halftime, taking the ball away. I mean, if they're going to heat QBs up and also force turnovers like that, um, this could be a, uh, an exciting season. My only, my only concern is, is Tony Pollard up to in fourth quarters taken, uh, you know, uh, of Dak Prescott's ability to turn around and hand the ball off to that guy and let him take 10 carries in the fourth quarter in trying to put a game away. But you know what? This team may be so dominant based on what we saw against the Giants that um, they may not need to lean on traditional methods, much like the Kansas City Chiefs haven't leaned on those and still uh, still won some Super Bowls um, over the years doing it that way. And the one other thing I'll say is we are suddenly in the golden age of sack masters. I, is, is that am I late to the party on this one? But I mean, really think about Miles Garrett doing the fake dribbling between his legs and all that a little showy, but OK, uh, Nick Bosa. Micah Parsons, um, TJ Watt. I who's the best? Who cares? They are they are all awesome. And uh I think I, you know, all of a sudden now TJ Watt starts off, he has three sacks. The race is on now. That projects to what? Do the math on that, spaghetti. What is that? Uh, f- uh 51. If TJ Watt gets 51 sacks, that'll be a record. Um, and, uh, and I bet he'll win defensive player of the year, but maybe not given the way Parsons looked on uh, Sunday night football and beyond it's the golden age of sacks. So I hope you enjoy watching those. Cause you're going to be seeing a lot of them in 2023. All right. That's my take on the weekend of football. You now have it power rank for you, but let's dig in on what we saw on tape or rather what Ted Wynn saw on the tape as we dig in even deeper on reactions and overreactions to NFL week one. Let me squeeze in a quick break here. You know, when the conversation turns stampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up, Omaha Full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account 
account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net, New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, here to try and make some sense of what was 50% just plum atrocious, inexplicable, throw it in the garbage, or... Is it going to endure? Will the pain go on for another 16 Sundays or Thursday nights or Monday nights? You get what I'm getting at here. Let's uh, let's turn to the film and the guy who does as good a job at breaking it down as anybody out there. You watch him on Twitter and TikTok. The way to follow him is FB underscore film analysis from The Athletic and the host of State of the Union podcast. It's Ted Wynn. At long last, welcome to Minus 3. Been one of the kibitz with you for some time. Now we make it so. How are you post-week one, fella? I'm good. Just catch up on all the action. And by the way, State of the Nation podcast, but you know, all good. What did I say? Uh, you said State of the Union. I'm sorry. Stay, I, I, <laughs> listen, I watch too much cable news. I'm sorry. It's stuck in my head. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I said that wrong. No problem. Thank no you problem. for the correction. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, all right, let's try and 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 figure this thing out here. Um, and I guess 
vainly, I'm going to start with the team that I've been touting for the last year. Um, and, and the criticism or not criticism, but the concern about the Dolphins was Tua and his ability to not get concussed for a full season, obviously. Um, based on now, you know, one season plus a game of Mike McDaniel's offense, generally speaking, defenses will figure some stuff out, um, you know, during the summertime to try and slow it down. Early returns are the two in that Dolphins offense. Again, going to be borderline unstoppable. Am I right about that? Is there, what is the key to slowing down at this point? Keep in mind, there was no Armstead at left tackle there for those Dolphins, and they still took care of business. Um, does the arrow remain pointed up for you, Ted, as you uh, look at this Miami team and specifically the offense? Yeah, big time. I, I mean, if you look at the splits last year when Tua was healthy with this Dolphins offense, it was, uh, you know, number one in so many major categories on offense. And like you said, it was just impressive that they were able to play at such a high level without Teron Armstead because this is not a very talented offensive line. And, and when you're missing, you know, by far your your best player and you're still able to execute the way they're able to execute. And Mike McDaniel is so good at just scheming up plays where Tua could just get rid of the ball quickly and, and create so much yak uh, that, you know, when you're able to do that, you can overcome those offensive line issues. And and we saw a lot of teams in week one not be able to overcome their offensive line issues, but the Dolphins have uh, the coordinator to be able to do it and the quarterback that's able to process quickly and get the ball out. And the, the first time the Dolphins played the Chargers last season, the Chargers were one of the first teams that was able to give them trouble with their defensive scheme and kind of figure out some stuff on that Dolphins offense, even with Tua healthy. And uh, this season, uh, this game in, in week one, uh, they were able to figure out some solutions to the the answers that the Chargers had. Uh, in particular, they they were able to, they had a little quick, clever, short motion that they had with Tyreek Hill. Instead of motioning him across the formation, where it gives the defense some time to adjust to that motion. They had a motion on the same side outside. So the motion would take a second and then they snapped the ball. The defense had no time to adjust. And then you have Tyreek Hill um, with a running start, running at a cornerback, which was just unfair. So, um, you know, Mike McDaniels, one of the best, you know, I, I think offensive coordinator and tinkerer in the NFL combined with the speed they have and, and two of just making quick decisions. I think, I think the arrow is pointing up for them big time. Yeah, I don't know about the offensive line. I'll defer to you on that, especially with Armstead, if it's uh, if it's mm-hmm. an enduring situation there. But try and give some credit as much as you can. McDaniel one, Tyreek Hill two, two or three. Is there something that you see in Tua that is a limitation for this offense? Because you know, from for, to my eyes, it really is. It, it, it comes down to if they can keep him clean and give him that extra half second, because the weapons around him, even including it running back when they, when they get close to all the way healthy, I think they have everything you need. Plus with Fangio on the other side, I think this team is now in year two of being a handful. And the only thing that slowed them down, it isn't any gifts or any lack, anything lacking in two. It's just the concussion. Simple as that, that we would be talking about this Dolphins team very differently. If those concussions didn't happen last autumn. Yeah, I think the only limiting factor is Tua's arm. You know, they, they, there was a a bad underthrow in this game, and yeah, you know, right. there were some some, 
Yeah, some bad underthrows last year. But I mean, when when you're product as productive as you are on the other types of plays with the intermediate routes and uh, just being accurate and be able to getting the ball to uh, his guys to be able to create yak, they can overcome that kind of inability to hit the deep ball consistently. I mean, if he was able to hit the deep ball consistently, this offense would just be completely unstoppable. It is wild that the whole the that the AFC pivots so much off of what happened in Arrowhead two Januarys ago when the Chiefs offense goes cold in the second half against the Bungles. And then that says, okay, maybe maybe we should turn the page. We're not winning with Tyree Kill and we have to pay him out anyway. So then Hill goes to Miami and then it feels like, well, he's a little bit of a spare part, especially when you look at the results of last season while the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. But Tyree Kill remains perhaps the most unguardable piece i mean it's a fascinating debate is like after the thursday night game against the lions we realize the value of travis kelsey even more in his absence but also boy tyree kill is borderline undefendable even in the nfl is that, or am i being hyperbolic there no i i think he, he he's exactly that and, and you know he said he was working a lot on his releases um this offseason and you saw that against the uh you saw that in this game against the chargers and that that short motion that they put him on it's like a it, it's like an afl game where you know he, he's already super fast and then you put him in motion give him a head start it's just it's just unfair for for corners to have to guard that it's so really it's one of those things it's like why didn't anybody else come up with this it's super clever Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you're watching that one, uh, the other side of the coin, although listen, it's not like Tua, to your point is, uh, is, is throwing 70 yard, um, ropes downfield to, to make hay, but a lot of it's coming through the air for the dolphins on the other side of the equation, the Atlanta Falcons are trying to win in a really severe version of just pound it out. They win by two touchdowns and their QB efficient as he was throws for 140 yards. Is that sustainable? I mean, I'll lean in the yes column optimistically because I feel like the NFC South is kind of soft, as is the overall NFC. But how say you? Can Arthur Smith and company, you know, get to double digit wins playing what amounts to a college offense? Yeah, I, you know, they they surprised some people last year with the same formula, uh, but I, you know. It depends what you how you define sustainable. I mean, I think they'll probably win some games, especially in a soft NFC South, like you said. But when they do play some of the better teams and the elite teams, are they able to win with this formula? I, I don't think so. And it's it's just Not weird. If they because, get down a touchdown. It has that wishbone yeah. vibe of watching an Orange Bowl in 1986. We are too young to remember that, but that was always the remark, like. Jamel Holloway and the Sooners have not trailed by a touchdown all season. It'll be interesting to see if they can rally. Spoiler alert, they couldn't. Yeah, that, that's the limitation of a, of a run-based offense is that you don't trust the QB to, to win you the games in the second half, right? Is that mm-hmm. about what you see in Ritter? Or do you think there's more uh, room before we hit the ceiling here? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ritter just doesn't have that much experience. He only started, I think, four games last year and um, obviously this game now. And he's not getting a lot of the passing reps because of uh, because of the offense. So, you know, I think the jury's still out on Ritter. Um, I mean, there was a point in this game where he had negative 12 
passing yards for, you know, I think the whole first quarter and, and one of the passes, he, Desmond Ritter had more receptions than uh, Drake London, which is kind of insane. He kind of had a pass tip to himself and uh, you have all these high draft picks, you know, Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and they're featuring Tyler Algier, you know, so it, it's just such a strange um, way to, design your offense i mean it's working and and arthur smith i think is a very clever play designer but he has to do a better job uh, of trying to get the ball spread the ball around um he said after the game like that nobody cares because they're they're one and oh but i guarantee you you know if you keep having games like the this guys are going to get frustrated and they're, they're going to check out you have to spread the ball around I kind of agree. Yes, people have egos, as it turns out, in pro football. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that it just goes on uh, if Drake London is averaging a catch a fortnight, that that will be acceptable to uh, to this high-end guy there. Um, all right. Certain head-to-heads stood out to me. And, you know, you can overreact in either direction. What I mean is the Cowboys pass rush is maybe the greatest in the history of people. or was the Giants offensive line an atrocity or is the answer both of the above? Again, what I'm looking for is sustainability or the Giants. Does this herald a real fallback this year for them? Or are we in store for the Cowboys really being a doomsday level defense throughout the 23 um, season? Uh, both. I, I, I think hmm. it's a little bit of both. I mean, the, the Giants offensive line was definitely a huge concern coming into the season. It, you know, it's the the one thing that we thought would be, would be able to sink this offense. And it kind of came into fruition against uh, the Cowboys who do have possibly the best defensive line in the NFL. And it also didn't help that uh, Andrew Thomas, you know, by far their best player uh, looked like he hurt himself trying to chase down that blocked field goal in the beginning of the game. So he mm-hmm. wasn't himself either. So when you, when you lose that type of talent, on an offensive line that's already pretty questionable, uh, it's, it's, it, it was going to be a long night. So, you know, I, I think Mike Dayball and Mike Kafka have to go back to the drawing board and, and think of uh, different ways to kind of mitigate this uh, this offensive line weakness. But uh, it's going to be an issue all season. And uh, for, the, for the Cowboys, you know, any team that falls into a third and long situation against the Cowboys is, is going to be in trouble because that, that pass just looks special. Yeah, I don't feel like the Cowboys are one of these teams that uh, in the relatively new pro football reality that you have to get high 20s into the 30s to win consistently. It does feel like the Dallas defense might be good enough to just turn it over to them more Sundays than not. But my my I guess my knock is Tony Pollard. Am, am, am I being overly skeptical? I still don't love him as an every down back. How say you on that one? I guess that I'm looking for reasons to knock the Cowboys right now. Is is uh, is that a fair one? I, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way with Tony Pollard. I, I, I don't know if he's a guy that you want to give 25 carries to uh, a game. So um, we'll, we'll see if he, he can become that, that feature back. Uh, but he just, has never done it in, in its entire career, NFL college. So um, the jury's out on, on Pollard, but I mean, he, he's still a big playback. And when you get him the ball in the right situations, he's he's going to be able to, uh, to, to make some splash plays. Um, you know, now I, I ask you about the Browns and Bengals and, and a fascinating 
trend in our mini era is the enduring ownership one NFL team has of another NFL team. I think the one people are most aware of is that the Saints seem to have the Bucks number. They've won seven of the last 10 against them. Um, the Ravens seem to own the Browns 10, uh, 10 and four in their last 14. Shanty owns McVay nine and four. Maybe the weirdest one of all is that the Browns own the Bengals nine of the last 11. Um, in this case, you know, we saw it last year with Joe Burrow and company not looking great against the Steelers. This was a whipping though. This way they, they, they didn't even get the ball in the end zone. Do you ascribe that to rusty Joe Burrow or are the Browns legit specifically on defense? I guess let's start with the Browns defense before we look at uh, what you think thought of Deshaun Watson on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think mostly this Browns defense looks legit. I mean, mm. they upgraded the front with uh, Dalvin Thomason, who was uh, just dominating. And then you pair that with uh, Zadarius Smith on the other side of Miles Garrett. I, I loved uh, what Jim Schwartz did with moving them around. Um, this is a, a a very, very good pass rush. And Miles Garrett looks like he's he's even better. I mean, a guy that size should not be able to to move as quickly as he does. And you know, he had one sack on fourth and four where he jabbed inside, went back outside, swiped the hands away from the tackle, and then just bowled over the running back that was trying to chip him, and then redirected back outside and and sacked uh, Joe Joe Burrow. And um, and Burrow, you know, he definitely looked rusty. Uh, he didn't look like he had great command of the ball. It was kind of a, a bad weather game, and he couldn't. He, he missed a bunch of passes that he who would normally hit. But man, that, that front four just just dominated against the run and, and the pass. So uh, I think that's going to be one of the one of the biggest improvements that we see from a unit this year is that Browns defense. It is weird, and Burrow's right. Obviously, he has recent history to lean on to to prove his point. They started zero and two last year, and no matter they they ended up taking care of business. Although I'm sure they'd rather have had home field advantage in the AFC last year, so it remains semi relevant. What about these Browns though? Nick Chubb just about unstoppable. Conklin though, not a small loss uh, for a team that really mm-hmm. wants to push people around. So that's not a small matter. How do they recover from that loss specifically? And more broadly, what did you see from Deshaun Watson? Do you see him getting back closer to the form of two, three years ago? Or or, or is this the Deshaun Watson that we're going to see, you know, for the rest of Deshaun Watson's playing days? Somewhere in uh, between, not quite the high-end superstar difference-making QB. Yeah, you know, I I think he missed a lot of passes. There, there I really liked what Kevin Stefanski did in designing his offense and his play calling because there was a bunch of wide open guys that Deshaun Watson just couldn't hit. Um, I, I thought you know there's a bunch of really cleverly designed run plays, option plays. I, I love the play action concepts, uh, but Watson couldn't hit him. I don't know if it was the weather because Joe Burrow had trouble with his accuracy as well. Uh, so I, I, I'll stay, I'll, I'll wait a few games to make a judgment call on Deshaun Watson, but it was definitely discouraging that he was not able to hit, uh, some of the wide open receivers that he had. 
Um, by the way, I said it at the top. Ted is one of the great social media follows. If you like watching what's happening in terms of the X's and O's, Ted does a great job of breaking it down. And you tweeted out, Ted, again, FB underscore film analysis, that uh, that bunch formation that the Browns ran to the right and uh, direct snapped. I mean, the, then uh, get the ball to Watson and he QB draws to the left and it's wide open. That was uh, that was clever stuff as well. Um, OK, so. Burrow and the Bungles now, a little bit of a trend here, not coming out of the gate red hot. That was the story for Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. They got whipped in the rain by the Bears of all teams a year ago. Now they did the whipping of the Steelers. Um, what did what was your takeaway? I guess first, let's start with the Steelers. Did they just run into a defense more physical than the offense. I mean, everything was built around the whole story is that the Steelers are going to physically dominate those across from them. And then they got physically dominated or is it the Kenny Pickett was just off and uh, was off the mark all day and writing that will write the Steelers season quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the Steelers' offensive line improvement was still theor- theoretical, right? I mean, it, it was on paper that they looked better offensive line. And, you know, putting that theory against the Niners' defense was probably one of the worst situations you could come into because they're so dominating on defense. Um, and, and, you know, Fred Warner was amazing. He, he you know, against the run and against the pass and – uh, obviously, Nick Bosa and, and even Drake Jackson, uh, the second year defensive end, had a good game with two sacks. Uh, so it, they were just so disruptive up front that it, it, it's hard to handle. Uh, I didn't really like the Steelers game plan. I thought they tried to attack the middle of the um, middle of the defense too much with the passing game. It's just hmm. hard to do that with Fred Warner there. Uh, so that that's also a concern for the Steelers was Matt Canada is still a question mark. You know, they have all this talent on offense, but. Uh, Matt Canada just hasn't been that great of off the coordinator. And, it, you know, the, the game plan against the Niners wasn't very I- inspiring as well. So, um, we'll, we'll so, see what so, happens. Okay. Cause believe me, that's the debate on the banks of the three rivers over the last, uh, you know, 24 hours or so is who to point the finger at. And people are very eager to do it. The locals are very eager to, to go after Matt Canada. To me, I mean, it's the big embrace of Kenny Pickett for the last year that makes people a little bit shy about doing that. But, man, that kid was just off the mark mm-hmm. all day. Fair. I mean, so I I guess I, I asked you to give credit to the Dolphins offense and and who deserves the, the majority of the credit in that situation. Who deserves the majority of the blame? Is it Pickett? Is it the, the line getting pushed around? Or is it uh, the guy calling the plays, Matt Canada? Um, I would say it's more on the offensive line, but I, I have to give a lot of credit to that Niners, you know, defensive front too. That's um, the top three defensive front, but yeah, the issues up front, I think definitely kind of uh, was the big root of the, the problem for the Steelers. Do you think that uh, the bookmakers have it right then with the Browns looking pretty good against Cincy on Sunday, the Steelers looking lousy against the Niners does the math add up to you to take the Browns on Monday night football in Pittsburgh next Monday? Yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we, we saw how dominant that Browns defense was, and I, I just don't see the Steelers cr- being able to correct their issues up front. 
you know, we also don't know if uh, Deontay Johnson is going to be able to play, and he's a huge part of that Steelers offense, as we know. So, you know, I, I think the Steelers offense will be better, but just having to play these two defensive uh, fronts two weeks in a row is it, just tough. Wow, they better get Hayward or and or Ogan Joby ready to roll with Nick Chubb coming into town. I think that's the biggest concern for the Steelers defense. Um, Seahawks and Rams, what was your takeaway of that one? Aside from the fact that Matt Stafford, as it happens, still has a live arm. Man, he made a, a he I, I, Matt Stafford is one of those guys who pretty much every year will make, you know, a handful of throws that you say like, hey, there are three or five human beings that can make that throw. And he made he made a couple in Seattle on Sunday that were remarkable. But what's your concern level now for the Seahawks, Geno Smith, year two of this, uh, this what was supposed to be a, a, a feel-good story here in its second act with Geno under center? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't get to watch that game too carefully. I, I saw so, some highlights, but um, I, I wasn't able to watch the all 22 and really break that game down. But, I, you know, I, it, it's just, I think, a credit to uh, Sean McVay uh, being able to scheme up this offense. And like you said, I, I saw some of those Matt Stafford throws and they were pretty amazing, especially when you consider um, the mismatch with the Rams receiver against uh, a, a really talented Seahawks uh, secondary. Um, last couple things then. So the Niners run game is pretty close to unstoppable. I mean, you know, uh, that not literally true, but about as good a, a run game as there is in, uh, mm-hmm. in football at this point. But is that what makes Brock Purdy look so good? Is it Shanny? And I, I, you know, are we doing this again now? Like we just ended the Tom Brady thing. Is this now act two? I know that the kid hasn't done anything yet, but it is his sophomore year. Um, He is on a loaded up team, just like the Patriots when they went to their first Super Bowl and and stole that one. Um, What is it with is Brock Purdy just an evaluation missed by all the scouts or is he just in the perfect situation? Um, so I did an article uh, right before the season about where Brock Purdy's ceiling is. And, and I talked to a lot of people around the league. I talked to some scouts and the consensus around the league is he is a product of uh, the, the players around him. I think part of that is because a lot of scouts around the league gave, gave him a very low grade. Obviously, he was almost an undrafted player. So I think it's tough for them to kind of reset their expectations. That's the human condition, right? No, it's yeah. the same thing. Like nobody wants to say, it's like I said about Ken Pickett. Fans were like, we love this guy. And I'm one of them because he's a pit kid. So I think it's a cool story spiritually. You got to give a shot to the kid. If he's there, you draft him and try and make a go with it because it'll be that much sweeter if he wins as a Pittsburgh Steeler. This is different than that, though. This is like just, it's the same thing as like, um. Uh. Oh, Alabama lost to Texas. Well, they still still have to be a top ten. No, they don't. They just lost. You just watch them mm-hmm. lose a game. They shouldn't be in the top twenty five anymore. If we're men of justice. Um. But this Brock Purdy thing, man, he's he's on the mu- he's he, mm-hmm. he's accurate. And the thing that stood out to me is you're watching him in sharp contrast to Kenny Pickett. 
man, when 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 it gets murky in the pocket, there he's pretty cool. He you know he mm-hmm. he still delivers a good ball even when there are guys six inches away from him trying to knock him down. Am I right about that, or is he just a guy in the perfect football spot? I think. I mean, I you guess know, he, you answered the question. You said good perfect spot, but are we sleeping on just a little bit here? No, you know, I think he he makes really good decisions. He ma- he makes quick decisions. Um, and and he was really really accurate. I thought he threw with a lot better anticipation um, than he did even last season. And there were a handful of plays where things broke down, and he was able to escape and make plays outside of structure. And that's one thing that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't give this Niners offense. Uh, so, you know, I came into that game was kind of, you know, I just talked to these, these scouts that were really down on Brock Purdy. So I came into this game kind of with that lens, but, you know, I saw four or five plays where I was like, you know, he, he made those plays. It wasn't Kyle Shanahan scheming up those plays. He, he, he added an extra layer to this offense that that's tough to uh, defend. But I mean, there is that Niners offense boost that he gets you know, from the how, that so much talent around him, but he's also able to to make those four or five plays a game that makes this Niners offense even tougher to defend. It, 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 it's really wild. I guess it's owed to like our collective cynicism to try and poke holes in anything as a society um, in, in this millennium. But it is funny that the last pick in the draft last year, Brock Purdy, is kind of in the same spot as the first overall pick of what was it, 2016, and Jared Goff, who has you know, you know, gone to a Super Bowl, but he was on his rookie deal, and he had Sean McVay in his ear, and that was a loaded roster, and he wasn't really worth all that uh, franchise loot, and then he gets shipped off, and we all made jokes. I think we'd all like to celebrate Jared Goff coming through clean on the other side, except that we all made Jared Goff based jokes in, uh, in the years um, running up to last year that now we don't know how to reconcile what Jared Goff is here, but it's about that offensive line, right? It's sort of the same thing that you would say about Brock Purdy. Obviously Goff's got a much liver arm than Purdy does, but it is funny that we look at that Lions roster and we want to believe, but I think the one thing that you ding him for is like, we're positive about Jared Goff. What do you think about the Giants, the Lions moving forward this year? I'm going to I'm going to tentatively buy it because of the strength uh, that they have at the line of scrimmage. How say you? Yeah, I mean, we we saw a lot of the Jared Goff issues pop up in this game against the Chiefs. I mean, the offense really wasn't good. They had. Mm-hmm. Uh, only only 14 points. I mean, and, um, you know, because one of their touchdowns came from uh, a pick six that right. bounced off to- Tony's hands. So um, and, and this was against the Chiefs defense didn't did not have Chris Jones. Um, right. But I think part of it is the, the Lions have a serious issue at wide receiver. They don't have they have a lack of weapons outside. Uh, Amon St. Brown is obviously great, but, you know, Spags with double team him on third downs and, and nobody else could win on the outside and, and Goff could struggle against pressure um, as we as we know uh, from his career. So I, I think Goff, you know, there, he has the strengths, but th- there's some uh, major holes in his game that we see co- come into fruition uh, when, you know, when he gets pressured. Uh, so I, I think. I think this Lions offense will be fine when Jameson Williams comes back. Um, and, and Goff is who he is. You know, I, I think he he has improved a little bit in Detroit, but he he still has his flaws. 
Here's a sort of rudimentary question for somebody from somebody who is is turning to an expert at work in the all 22 film and trying to make some sense of it. Is the cutoff line ultimately for the QBs? Can you tell who the guys are who are driving the bus? They are going to win games for their team rather than, you know, be along for the ride kind of guys. The ones that don't need play action, because to me, it feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to make it work with, with Jared Goff, Brock Purdy, Kenny Pickett. These guys all have to be able to turn around and turn their back to the defense, which to me always is limiting because for the QB's eyes, because he has to turn around and then reassess in the moment. And the great ones you can just allow to every snap of the game, do it out of the gun and and, and do let him oversee the defense pre-snap and when he gets the ball never have to turn the back is that the cutoff point for you is it as simple as that because that's what it seems to me yeah i think that's a a great stat to look at when you're trying to separate some of the qbs that are a little more dependent on their offense and some of the qbs that could uh could win from the pocket and create for themselves uh i mean that's one of the biggest big differences between jared goff and matt stafford uh, the Rams decided to go with Matt Stafford and they totally changed their offense. They went from a, a play action heavy offense to a drop back heavy offense and they, they won a Super Bowl with it. Uh, so, you know, when you get into those third and long situations where you need your quarterback to win and play action is not going to work on third and long, uh, you know, those are where some of the, the great, the truly great quarterbacks uh, separate themselves. Uh, so being able to win in, in the true drop back game, I mean, that's a, you know, when you look at those stats, they are pretty sustainable uh, from year to year and being able to create when things break down. I think those are the two traits that really separate the kind of game manager system quarterbacks from um, the real special quarterbacks. All right. Great stuff. Uh, great uh, virgin run here, Ted Wynn. We appreciate all the time. And uh, so should we or should we not pencil the Niners and Cowboys in the, the NFC title game and the Browns. And um, I don't even know who on the other side of things, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the jets look like on Monday night football before we decree, which, which other team is going to be in the final four, or should we wait a little bit, hit the pause button and look at a couple more weeks of action before we put anything into pen. I think we should wait a couple of weeks. I okay. mean, we, we also, I think we also have the Eagles, you know, that, that are, that are pretty good. I mean, Jalen Carter looks, Man, he, he he looks special already in that Eagles defensive line. I didn't play the greatest game, but I you know I think the Eagles are one of the more talented teams in the NFC too. Any concern for the Eagles or Chiefs? Both win their division, both uh, both uh, making a run at the top seed in their respective conferences when it's all said and done. Um, you know, I, I think with the Chiefs, their defense played. A, a really good game against Detroit, but you know Travis Kelsey's age getting up there, and mm-hmm. and the the um, wide receiver room being in the state it is, it it is concerning for the offense. But you know if the the defense could kind of sustain the team while they kind of figure things out on offense, that would be a, a big boost for them. Well, you just heard him there. Uh, that should give you reason. I didn't even bring up the silver and black because I want to leave that to to State of the Nation podcast. State of the Nation is what it's called, everybody. Not State of the Union like Dumb Dave says. State of the Nation. Check it out for all silver and black. I imagine you'll be singing songs about Jimmy G pulling it out in a tough spot there. A mile high, a good start to the Raiders season. 
Pittsburgh will be headed over there. Maybe we can connect uh, before that, after that one and uh, get your sense of what's going down with those two AFC teams. Then in the meantime, great stuff. And we'll continue watching you on social media and the athletic and beyond. Thanks for all the time, Ted Wynn. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And now a quick break. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, there he goes, uh, Eddie Spaghetti. I hope uh, that didn't hurt your feelings, that he he wasn't excited about the Giants. But you know what? By the way, before, before you even respond, I want to say this. Don't forget, because I should have said it at the start of the show. Don't forget minus three listeners, extra points listeners, do uh, do us a favor. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We want to get uh, we want to get the views up in that regard. We are doing the 15 minute pregame show every week. It releases. It'll standardly re- release on Fridays. Eddie Spaghetti. We're going to release it on Fridays. Obviously, we're going to push it again uh, so everyone's eyeballs could see it Sunday morning when you're getting your fantasy lineup set up. And you know, instead of watching those other three four hour pregame shows, come over here and watch ours. Uh, it'll be posted extra points Twitter and the minus three Twitter, of course, on the the extra points YouTube page. And you know, you'll you'll find it everywhere. Facebook as well. Do you still use Facebook? So we're going to be everywhere. But yeah, fifteen minutes. I still use Facebook. Show. Don't knock me because I'm Sorry. old. But listen. Uh, yes, we were encouraged by the views on some social media platforms, uh, less so on YouTube. We really do, like I say, want to build that up. So do us a favor um, and uh, and check that out and check out all the content we're putting over there under the Extra Points banner on YouTube. And Eddie Spaghetti, final thoughts from you from uh, Ted or otherwise, any reaction to what he had to say? I mean, yeah, just to, you know, you kind of bring it up with his uh, negativity towards the Giants. I can't knock him for that whatsoever. I mean, uh, we're, we're shown once again that, you know, quarterback may be the be- uh, most important position, but the most important position group is far and away the offensive line. And, um, you know, the Giants try to aid that. They took the best center in the draft, John Michael Schmitz, who actually rated OK in terms of centers. Um, but Evan Neal, who, you know, was awesome in Alabama, has just not really found his groove yet in the NFL and the, the right side of the Giants offense of line allowed five of the seven sacks. Like I said before, um, the the pressure in Dylan Jones was was terrible. And the thing that upsets me is like we could not even get a good game out of it. We could not really test Dallas to see what are Dallas's weaknesses, what are Dallas's holes. The game was over before the Giants even had a shot. Um, it was underwhelming. Uh, you said it before, uh, kind of across the board, a, a, a lame week one. But uh, luckily, you know, Arizona Cardinals are on the schedule next. So uh, hopefully, you know, better things for us next week. You know, here's the thought that occurs to me, actually, is as you touch it, maybe it's not about the maybe the takeaway is 
that it's not running backs that are fungible, it's quarterbacks. I mean, Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft. Kenny Pickett was a first-round pick. Jared Goff is now, he was a first-round pick, but he was a spare spare Uh part by the time he got to Detroit. Same story kind of applies to Geno Smith. Matthew Stafford was washed up, and uh, the premise of this season was for the Rams, supposedly, to, to get Caleb Williams. Now Matthew Stafford looks like an interesting piece, at least uh, the way he performed up there in Seattle. Russ wasn't great um, uh, against the Raiders on Sunday, but he wasn't a first-round draft pick. I think you've heard about Tom Brady. Bart Starr was a 15th-round pick. And uh, now we have all these fancy pants falling on their face. Boy, all right, the storylines are now... Coming together, Eddie Spaghetti, for the sake of our teams and our rooting interest. Hope uh, things will turn around for both those teams. But we will be back later in the week with Kevin Hench. We'll give you the Thursday podcast as we do standardly. And then on Friday, the aforementioned 15-minute pregame show for you. Also be on the lookout for Extra Points with Sarah Tiana. We had a uh, great debut with her. Great time. Last week, we'll uh, we'll give uh, the sophomore run this Wednesday, Eddie Spaghetti and Jen Piacente doing Waiver Wired. Check out all the great content on the Extra Points Network. And until later in the week, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.